This is Season 3 of The Score, the Team Roping Journal's regular podcast where the team roping world talks. We've told the stories of some of the greatest cowboys, horses, and moments in the sport, and we're so far from done. In 2020, we'll bring you more of what you've come to expect, like interviews with the best cowboys and cowgirls we know, and we'll dive even deeper into subjects you care about. Look for more audio editions of the Team Roping Journal stories you might have missed in print, and learn about the great horses shaping the sport and great challenges facing our industry. All this and more in 2020. I'm Chelsea Schaefer. Brock Hansen is a National Finals rodeo header who swapped to the hillside to rope with Colorado's J.B. James. With almost half a million in pro rodeo earnings and two NFR go-round wins to his name, Hansen is a deadly switch ender who knows good horses too. This time around, I talked to Brock about making young horses, something a lot of pro rodeo cowboys find themselves doing more and more of thanks to the COVID-19 crisis. But Brock's always been skilled with a horse as much as he has been with the rope, and he talks about a variety of ways he brings young horses along and techniques he uses to make a good one. There's also some good bit talk too, so for all you bit junkies, we cover that as well. Thanks Brock, and enjoy this conversation. Today's episode is gonna be brought to you by Fastback Ropes. So enjoy the episode, and I will talk to you more at the commercial break in the middle of the show. How are you, Brock? I'm good. I'm good. What have you been yes. up to in your downtime? Man, a um, couple schools, and luckily the jackpots have been pretty busy. So last couple weeks, kind of up in Colorado and Wyoming, and went to Belfouche to the jackpot. So we've been getting a rope quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, you have been. And have, have the jackpots been decent for you? Yeah, they've been good. Been good. Good. Who's, the turnouts who's have been, been your... amazing. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like, the that open that we went to in Gill was crazy. I couldn't, like, 115 teams in an open in the middle of Colorado. That's unheard of. Yeah, and then have a, a handicap of 12 slide or whatever. They had 400 some teams i mean that's that's an awesome turnout yeah absolutely it's been good i i i keep saying it's the year of the jackpot and it sure i mean i hate that for the rodeo guys that you guys aren't getting to rodeo but um are you gonna go to texas and do like all the texas rodeos that are still happening i am not a hundred percent i'm actually headed back from nevada right now um I mean, yeah, we got to do, I think we're going to have to do something. I'm curious. And, and it's, I mean, nobody's in a very good position to give any answers, but yeah. it would be nice if we could get some sort of an idea. And then I don't know that anybody actually has an idea. Like, what are we going to do for circuit rodeos and circuit finals? And I mean, there's obviously the undecided rumor is are they even going to have an NFR you know and they're like nobody really knows anything yeah. so it would be nice if if we kind of had the big picture or just an idea of hey here's the direction we would like to go in or this is kind of the plan but um, right now it seems like nobody's really very certain of anything yeah I had said just in like conversations earlier 
month, like if Cheyenne, you know, like Cheyenne's going to be the litmus test. Like if Cheyenne can happen, then I have faith in the season. There's going to be an NFR, you know, all that stuff. Now it's like, man, that, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't I don't know what to say. It. I'm out of the circle. I mean, I think majority of my information comes from rumors and Facebook, which I don't know that either one's very reliable, but at one point it was like Cheyenne said, I mean, we're going to have it regardless of what everybody's doing or thinks. And then it goes from that to canceling Cheyenne to shortly followed by canceling every rodeo in the state of Wyoming. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, all the, the spring rodeos that kind of got postponed to the fall, I mean, are we going to have them or are we not having them? What's, what's are they the going to count? You know? Like, yeah, are we going to have them? Are they if they if they are having if they are having them? Are they going to count? It's such a, and you guys are so good. Like that spring rodeo setup is so good for you and JB. Um, I would hope for your sake that they you know they have some of them. And, but man, it's just such a bummer. What circuit did you guys declare this year? The Mountain State Circuit. Oh, which is okay. so, you know, Colorado so. and Wyoming. So as of right now, yeah. they talk like Grover is still a go. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I know like books are open on Prescott right now. And I mean, not that it, I mean, it's a rodeo. He got him to go to it, but you want to drive, you know, 14 hours for kind of one rodeo. If there's no light at the end of the tunnel, you know, it's just hard to yeah. decide what, what, what to do. I know. I, I I haven't checked on the PRCA's website lately or anybody's websites lately, but the last time I checked on the WPRA's website, it was like Westcliff was one, and then one rodeo in South Dakota. And those were the only ones that were full on approved and happening. Like it's just a crazy times. And I feel so badly for all you guys. I would talk to Caesar this morning and he said, he joked that like everybody's either riding outside horses or teaching a school. Like if you talk to, a pro right now they usually you guys usually have time to talk unless you're teaching a school like i've never had this happen before where everybody's just loping colts or sitting on a horse in a box scoring all day have you you haven't had to take in any outside horses at this point or have you i have i have not i've got a couple green ones of my own i've been riding i've not taken any outside horses from the kind of general public yeah Gotcha. Are you riding green heel horses or are you riding green head horses too? No, a couple of green heel horses. Gotcha. Gotcha. Have you been riding many head horses or just heel horses? In all, in I have not. I rode, oh, a month ago I rode, you know, just a couple of, the ones with JV, he had a couple of green ones I've messed around with a little bit and that's mm-hmm. kind of about it. Gotcha. So, Do you, um, do you enjoy riding young hill horses better than young head horses at this point? You know, I don't know that I like one more than the other. I mean, I, I enjoy riding good young horses, something that, you know, you, you teach them something and you go over it for a couple of days and then you get to go on and go on to the next step and the next step. And and I, I really mm-hmm. enjoy ones that, you know, that want to learn and you get signs of progress. I hate going over the same thing every day, every day, every day, and not feeling like you're gaining any ground. I, d- I don't mind ones that 
you know, learn slow as long as they're learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a, a good horse is a good horse. Green is not necessarily bad if they don't know. Mm-hmm. As long as they're willing and, and you can kind of advance them, I enjoy that. Are the the green ones that you're riding right now, are they out of any specific bloodlines? Tell me about them. You know, they're j- just horses. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I'm not big on super young horses, like two-year-olds, three-year-olds. I'm mm-hmm. not... I don't have a ton of experience with them, but I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. Like, I don't like breaking horses. I would prefer to have them, you know, where they're sure enough already broke, one-handed. You can get on and, and kind of mess with them for a little bit. And you got a pretty good idea of, you know, are they willing, what kind of attitude they have, what are, what are their, if they're athletic, you know, just kind of the whole deal versus buy one strictly on bloodlines. I mean, I've rode several brothers and half brothers to horses that were phenomenal and they were uh, I guess you just call pretty common at best which I I would just as soon be able to get on them and tell if I like them for Mm -hmm. what the horse is and and what they're capable of versus what the papers say Uh, I've never been real big on papers or bloodlines I mean I've had a couple of the, the bloodlines that I don't really enjoy very much and obviously each, each one kind of has a reputation that follows it, but I would just assume kind of get on them and see what, see what they are when they're underneath you. Sure. It's and, funny that you say that because like you hung out at Moats for so long and you lived there, you know, stayed there for so long. Um, and he's such a bloodline man. And JB's barn is full of, you know, his family raises some amazing running bred horses but your background is just a little bit different in horses, I guess. Yeah. And like I said, I would just soon, I mean, I get it. And, and like you say, Ryan and JB, all of them, they, they've done great and had some that didn't work out or some better than others or whatever. And I guess if you're, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I guess I just never really got that into it. I mean, I've had some phenomenal horses, no clue what their, what their bloodlines were. <laughs> they didn't even have papers, never, they didn't come with them, you know? So, Obviously, mm-hmm. they were quality horses, and they, they probably had papers that, you know, I've heard every excuse from a fire to a divorce to broke in my truck and everything else. You know, I mean, there's always excuses why they don't have papers. But, uh, yeah, I'm just not – if they're unregistered or, or don't come with papers, it doesn't necessarily concern me. I, I would prefer it because if you're going to – for resale value in the general public – Everyone mm-hmm. would like to have papers on them, but if you know the age of them, uh, yeah, pa- papers haven't ever, they've, they've never really done me any good. Like I said, I, I, I understand it, but it, it doesn't make or break a decision when I'm picking out a horse, especially mm-hmm. something that I'm going to use. I'm not overly concerned about it on a gelding for sure. Now, what is your horse game plan for the year? Like if things start to, fall apart um, even further as far as the rodeo season, are you going to have some good ones for sale or are you going to keep them and keep your arsenal build up? I'm pretty bad to sell stuff. Um, I've got, <laughs> I got one really good horse right now that I got from Wesley Thorpe that I really, really like. And other than that, uh, the other ones are, are just 
you know, green horses, which, like I said, a, a good horse is a good horse just because they're green. That doesn't really bother me very much. I, I don't mind a green one that, that's willing to learn. Uh, heel horses, you can start with a pretty green heel horse, and especially where you're home getting a rope so much right now, you can advance a heel horse enough to start taking them to a rope and pretty fast. A head horse, sure enough, takes time, especially at an open level because of the scoring, and you go through the sweats in the box mm-hmm. and everything else. You know, a, a head horse takes a really long time it seems like where a heel horse with the right mind you can bring them along pretty fast where you can start going to especially like Colorado where they have the 12 slide where you get to go and you get to rope you know pick one draw one go three times and you're going to have six partners in the same roping that that's the best way to season one because it's an open roping you know down at Steve Mill they have the open ropings and stuff man there you better be on something pretty good because I mean, you need all the help you can get with Driggers and Jade and Junior and everybody sure, there. Sure. And most of them, they're not riding Colts. So you've got to be on <laughs> something pretty good. But if a guy can go to some of the handicap ropings and some of the stuff where you get to enter more than one or two times, it's not going to break you, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do. I, I like taking the green horses. And, and they make mistakes. That's that's part of it. But you, you can you – can, mess with the horse for two months at the house and think you're doing good and you go to one roping and by the time the first round's over you know exactly what you need to work on when you get home <laughs> you know it's like okay yeah here's the problem and, and you get to address it when when you're home just kind of going through the motions you can think you're doing pretty good or think you're not doing very good and but like i mm-hmm. said you take them in into any kind of competition you figure out real fast what you got Hey everybody, it's Chelsea, and I want to talk to you a little bit about Fastback Ropes, who are sponsoring our episode today. Their two best sellers are the Cobalt and the Excalibur. They're poly blend core ropes. The Cobalt is a perfect combination of poly and dyed nylon, resulting in a highly durable rope. It's medium in diameter and weight, and will likely appeal to ropers who prefer more tip weight and less body or bounce. Fastback's Excalibur is a nylon poly blend with core construction. It's a bestseller, and it's another medium and diameter rope and weight with core construction. It's durable. It's got reduced body and no bounce, and swings consistent in all weather. Today's tip is about breaking in ropes. Surprisingly, a lot of people don't understand or know the importance of it. To break in your new ropes and help them last longer, rope 5 to 10, and then loosely coil back up and let it rest for a day or so. This will give the rope time to recover and draw back up. It helps extend the life of your rope. The rope makers at Fastback Ropes recommend that strategy, so I guess you probably all better stick to it. Again, thank you to Fastback for bringing us this episode, and thank you for the Fastback Tip of the Day. Where is the line for you when you take a green horse to the jackpot? Where can you describe the line between, okay, I better get off this sucker and we better go back to the practice pen. Or maybe if I ride him through a couple more runs, like just kind of hammer it into him. Where is, can you describe that, that line? Um, yeah, I think it's different for each horse. Uh, I, I won't get off of them because they make mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I feel like they're, they're falling apart and whether it's like sometimes 
they get real nervous and then they're not working, I might run two or three of them, especially, like I said, you get to go to the ropings where you get several runs. I might run mm-hmm. two or three. And if they're just kind of worked up because of stuff going on around the roping or what's the first time and the, all the people in the shoots and the speakers and everything else, I might run two or three on them time to the fence and kind of let, let them just get used to it and see it and, and chill out for, you know, 15, 20 minutes and mm-hmm. ride another horse for a couple of steers and get back on them. I've had pretty good luck doing that kind of rotating off and on mm-hmm. them throughout the day. Uh, but like I said, the rope when we went to, they had 400 teams. That was awesome for a horse because as a, at an open roping, I mean, you're there for an hour and a half, maybe. And even if you catch all of them, go twice at a five header. Most years you're going to run is 10 where that deal had 400 teams. I think you got eight runs or something like that. I mean, you're going to be there all day and, Mm-hmm. You, as, as an open guy, you don't get to season horses like that anymore. I mean, the only ropers mm-hmm. that last all day is the BFI and I mean, maybe the Capitalist <laughs> and the Lone Star, which yeah. at those ropers, you're not going to take a colt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought I thought that was a, a great place. And like I said, it was good for those horses to be there all day and kind of let them get over whatever's bothering them and then get on them and put some more runs. Um, I try to be pretty careful with them in the box mm-hmm. if you feel like you're losing them in the box and they're starting to glaze over i don't want to create a problem but mm-hmm. i won't get off of them because they make a mistake because they're not going to get any better tied to the fence yeah i guess when they do start to get nervous in the box like and you're in the middle of the jackpot um you just you go ahead and get off of them and then what do you do if, at home if that happens like if say one starts to fall apart in the box at a jackpot what's your monday morning game plan uh, I'll go right to it. Wherever, if I had to get off of one because of an issue, first thing when I get home or first time I ride them, I go right to the problem. Um, I don't, don't try to avoid mm-hmm. it or think it's going to go away. I'll go, if it's in the box, um, I mean, as soon as I get on the horse, warm him up straight to the box, move him around, score him, just, just kind of whatever the issue was, I try to recreate it. Because you don't want to, I mean, obviously you got a time. It's not like you can tell your partner, wait up, I need, you know, three minutes over here to move my mm-hmm. horse around and, and kind of get some confidence back in him or whatever. So I'll get off of him and just spend the time on him and whatever the problem was, I'll address it accordingly, you know, and whether mm-hmm. it's score a bunch or walk them in and out, walk, score them, whatever. Uh, it depends whatever it was, but yeah, I'll go right to the problem first thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I did a thing with Trevor um a while ago on bits in the box and getting a horse comfortable make like he focuses so much on what bit he's going to ride one in in the corner because that makes such a difference for him do you have like I mean I'm sure it's different for every horse but do you have like a set of bits that that you run into with that problem or are you not as much of a bit person yeah I do I I have a handful of bits um I think a lot of it is what kind of style like I heard a horse one time and and Trevor let me on his and we're up the reps and he said, man, you can run, you know, if you want to run two or three on him, I was going to take him to the rodeo the next morning. And uh, my horse must've just had a stinger. Something I ended up not taking him, but I run, I think three steers on him that night. And it's the only thing I've ever really rode behind Trevor. And he was real big on when I rode him, he said, I want him, you know, off the bridle or behind the bridle. Don't let him pull on you. If he does, you know, 
you get him off the bridle. And I, I of course, do it. I go home and play with that idea on a bunch of mine. Um, mm-hmm. I was not heading he- healing. Man, you can get by with one that's just pretty good in there. Like, they got to be able to leave when you want, even with the heel barriers. You can kind of ballpark the start. It, it's not as crucial most of the time. Mm-hmm. As long as they leave off your hand and, and you can get a start, they don't have to just, you know, kind of stare down the barrel of it and, and be that sharp. Healing, you can, uh, I mean, for lack of a better way, you can kind of half-ass it and, and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Where, like, heading, mm-hmm. man, if you fudge the start heading, you're probably out of the roping, especially mm-hmm. the open ropings and the better ropings. Because you, you miss the start, then that just creates more problems out in the arena. So I, mm-hmm. I had a a lot of luck because I was not very good in the box. In my heading career, in the box and scoring was the weakest part of me. So I spent way more time than what actually showed in the box and trying to learn. And, you know, I rode and, and got different ideas from a ton of guys. I'd go down to Ray Siggins, and, and he would give me ideas and work with me. And we just do just a ton of different ideas. And it took me a long time to – I had the my good horse stripper. He scored uh, amazing. I mean, I, I had a couple horses that I was fortunate enough because I, when I bought a horse, I would want them to be phenomenal in the box, and because mm-hmm. that, that was my weakest point. So I would do different things, and mm-hmm. I got along really good with, you know, kind of some gag type bits or something where if I was maybe mm-hmm. a little clutchy or, or pulled on them a little bit, I didn't lift them off. Like if you if you got a solid bridle, mm-hmm. or I, I didn't dislike riding hackamores, but you'll you'll pick them up in the front end if you kind of do something they hit. If their front feet mm-hmm. come off the ground, you cannot go forward. Like you cannot leave. If you if you nod and you flinch and you lift them off the front, you cannot leave. And again, when you're smoked, mm-hmm. you're done. So mm-hmm. I would ride a lot of gag bits or maybe something with a little taller purchase. I still really like to ride bits with a a little extra purchase and I've had good luck with those, but it was just because it was, it almost delayed the actual bite of the bit or the chin strap and give me just a little more time. That was the way I looked at it was for kind of pilot error. So if, mm-hmm. if I was a little clutchy or a little tight, it, it didn't mess my horses up because like I said, when I picked out a head horse, the box was a strong suit for them. So I, mm-hmm. I tried to find out a way that would, cut me some slack but i had good luck with kind of some gag bits or something a little bit of a draw to it sure so, like i said just just give me a little bit of room to make mistakes yeah that's funny that you say that because i know just recently have i heard headers start talking about gag bits more like t wade was telling me that that horse he rode at the nfr this year he had to ride him in a gag for a while or excuse me it was, it was the horse he rode at the beginning of the year he was riding in a gag to get him where he wanted them. Trevor talked about in, in a story we did about gag bits and how, how sometimes that that is just ends up what suits his horses and his hands. And I just think it's, I, I've just been writing about it for 10 years, but I haven't heard a lot of people talk about them often, but I think bird rode Dolly in a gag bit. Didn't he? I think so. Yes. It's, yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. It's just interesting. Um, and I don't see a lot of guys at a 12 slide, riding their horses in a gag bit it's like a pesca or you know a chain bit well it's so and, and two you look at the way i mean if you sit and watch the open rope or uh, a rodeo 
you never see a header or hardly ever see a header have to to use the bridle to rate his horse off or to slow him down in the turn. Those horses mm-hmm. are all not not droppy, but they're real ratey and they're looking for the throw. So they sure. have to score and that, the headers drive and ride all the way through their throw. And after the throw, those horses are sharp. Like they don't mm-hmm. need the bridle to to mm-hmm. make them turn off. So you can get away yeah. with less bridle in the, in the open style of roping and, and the more aggressive guys, mm-hmm. there's so much body language and, and they see the shot. Cause a lot of them now, I mean, shoot an average run is still a coil back. So everything's mm-hmm. so far out in front of them where in the 10 or the nine or something, you know, those guys go up there and they gain faster. The steers might be a little bit slower. So they go up there and they got to use the bridle to, to take control of their horse and slow them down to rate off or whatever. Mm-hmm. So a, a gag bit usually doesn't have a lot of, of stop to it. You know I mean? It's more for, yeah. like I said, it, it's delayed in the bite. So you don't see mm-hmm. a lot of that for a, a heel horse to, or a calf horse that needs a lot of stop or something you have to pull on. It, it's not a stopping type bridle. So you, you, that's why I think you, the open or rodeo yeah. type guys can get away with a gag is because they don't need it out in the arena. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a whole lot of sense, Brock. Um, one of the things that has been really popular lately with our audience and with, with people on the score is listening to like roping lessons from you guys. We've been doing like short little five minute roping lessons. Is there anything that at your school you were really working on with people in Nevada that you could explain or in any spe- one specific item? And I'm putting you on the spot. You know, yeah, kind of, but it's not, it's not really a secret is position. Mm-hmm. I mean, position, position, position. I, I all the time, uh, and it not just this last deal, just as I think this goes for everybody is you, you get to where you spend a lot of time on the ground and everything and you get to where you catch the dummy consistently. And if, if you would, whatever spot you rope the dummy, Say you're in the arena and you just work the arena and you set your dummy up out in the arena and it doesn't matter if you're heading or healing either one so you got a fresh set of tracks if you rope the dummy 20 times probably 18 of 20 are going to be in the exact same tracks that you throw in the last every every loop in the exact same tracks well that's your position mm-hmm. so then you get on a horse and you rope from throw 10 loops and you throw from 10 different spots it's like, well, for one, there's the first hang-up to why you're probably not as consistent as you are on the ground is because you're not throwing from a consistent spot, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think that's just uh, – I mean, everybody knows it, and, and everybody understands that position is huge, but it's still mm-hmm. – It's. I don't think that it's – I don't know. You just see it. You sit there and watch the tin rope, and, and they throw out a position all the time and miss, and it's like, oh, man, my rope. I got to practice or I got to change it with my <laughs> roping and stuff. And it's like, man, you got to get to the same spot every time first. You know, it's hard to tell if it was your rope or your roping or your horse did this mm-hmm. or did that when you're, you're not in position. Gotcha. That's an awesome tip. Thank you, bro. All right. Before we go, you got to tell me you are jumping between climates like crazy. Now I'm sure it's way different in Arizona than it is in Colorado than it is in Texas what ropes are you going between right now? What are your rope choices? 
you know, the last uh, probably month, I've been using the Cobra, the black rope that backpack makes. I'm curious because it's just, I've just now been getting where it's kind of outdoors and sure enough getting hot. And so far mm-hmm. I've had, I've been really happy with it. I really like the reaction of it when you, I've been healing full time. So when, when that rope gets on the ground, it stays. I really like several things about it. So I'm curious to see as the temperatures get hotter, it, that rope so far has held up great. And I've been, like I said, real happy with it, but that's what I've been using. Very good, very good. Um, I, I was at JB's barn the other day and saw a, a couple ropes sitting in the corner and they were Cobras, so I figured that was the answer. I figured they were yours. Um, yeah, no, that's, very that's good. what I've been using. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brock. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. hope it yeah, killed some of your drive time. And, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Be careful. We'll see you at the next jackpot, yeah. I guess. I guess so. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, Fastback Ropes, for bringing us this episode. Remember, fastbackropes.com. Make sure you're ordering your Excalibur and your Cobalt. Those are the best-selling ropes for a reason. You can't beat them. Thanks. <laughs>